Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your consistency. Thank you that in a very loud world, you still speak to us if we're willing to listen. And I pray, God, that we, um, I think back to the story with Eli and young Samuel, and Eli counseling Samuel to say, speak for your servant is listening. And I pray, God, that that would be our heart posture this morning, all of us, including myself, that we would listen to you and we'd respond to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you're new, my name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at Restored. Uh, if you're new, it's an interesting time to be new because we are in a giving series. Uh, I want to be really clear, we're not always in a giving series. We've done two in eight years, okay? Nine years. Guys, it was our nine-year anniversary this, this Sunday, by the way. Oh, yeah. Forgot. Forgot. Kind of buried the lead on that. So, uh, again, I've done the numbers. We're at less than 3% of our sermons all the time around giving. I don't need to justify myself to you, but that's not what we always talk about. But if you are new, I'm like, you're like, oh, so what churches do. I see what's going on here. Uh, but today we'll be on giving. Uh, we've got two more weeks in this series, uh, series on lavish. And by the way, uh, to this point in the series, the feedback's been really, really encouraging. Uh, I know there's been a reality to the fact that we believe that God sovereignly uses our circumstances to shape us, to help us become like Jesus, to be perfected in his love. And in the area of financial generosity, he uses circumstances to do that. And so people have been responding. People have been uh, actually telling me, man, I've actually been challenged in a good way. I'm grateful for this series. People have said that to me. I'm not making that up. Uh, I'm like, man, that's so cool. Uh, and so, so far in the series, we've answered a couple different questions. The first week we talked about why we give. And we said that we should be motivated not, uh, by grace, not by greed or guilt. Uh, then we talked about who gives, and we hit the idea that we are stewards, not owners of the money that is currently in our possession, that God owns it and he entrusts some of it to us. And then two weeks ago, Daniel uh, came down from Mago Day. It's where Maria is today, uh, speaking up there. Um, and he taught on really what is giving, and the answer is uh, it's, it's trust and worship. And then last week we looked at throughout the storyline of the Bible, big picture storyline of the Bible, um, what do we give to? What have God's people always given to? And, um, and then this week, we're going to answer a different question. It's this, how do we give? How do we give? It's the most practical talk uh, we're going to give in this series. Uh, again, two weeks from today, um, we are going to have a time where we kind of finalize this series and, and ask you to respond to what the Spirit's calling you to give, make that commitment between you and the Lord, and then we move forward into the future. And by the way, I've said this before. I will say it again. Um, we are not trying to manipulate a, to get a certain amount out of anyone. We will do ministry with the money that comes in, the best ministry we can do. We'll have the staff that's, that's big enough to fund. Uh, we'll do the ministry that we're able to do. Um, but my heart is that everyone would be able to say, I, if, if you're a member of this church, like I am a disciple of Jesus, that means I, am a, I know I am a generous person. If we could all say that, I'm, I'm cool with a smaller budget if that's true. Does that make sense? So, and again, I don't think that's what would happen. I don't think the budget would shrink if everyone's being sacrificially generous um, in this space. But man, I, I, would, I would love that. Um, if that was the case. Uh, and again, this is a hard part of spiritual growth. Martin Luther, kind of the father of the Reformation, he said this. He said, there are three conversions necessary in the Christian life. The conversion of the heart, kind of that initial, I want this. The conversion of the mind, I believe the gospel makes logical sense to me. And the conversion of the purse, <laughs> your wallet, your bank account, your money. This isn't easy. And I mentioned this before, there is another reason why this um, topic is tricky is no one thinks they're greedy. 
Tim Keller is a pastor of a church in Manhattan, the, kind of the center of wealth in the entire world. Huge church in Manhattan. He says, I have counseled hundreds of people on a myriad of topics. I get asked all the time to meet up as a pastor, and no one's ever said, can we meet up? I'm too greedy. I'm haunted by my past financial decisions that were selfish, where I could have given. Now, to, to be fair, I have had a, a wealthy person in this church recently say, hey, I want advice on how to give, because I don't know how to do that, which was cool. But very few people think, man, I am greedy, all right? So for, and by the way, very few people think they're, they're wealthy. And by the way, if you're in this room and you live in America, you're in the top 3% wealthiest, likely top 1%, but definitely top 3%. And so very few people think they're wealthy. Uh, by the way, if you ask wealthy people, they very often, they, all the studies show they never think they're wealthy. Uh, there's a money called uh, All the Money in the World. I think Brad Pitt's in it. Is that true? Yeah. There's some heartthrob that plays a character. Uh, but it's a true story about the Getty family. And the Getty family had 8% of America's GDP one time, Getty Oil, in like the 70s. And the owner of the company's grandson is kidnapped. Um, and, uh, and he's up for ransom. And it's like 1% of his net worth, which is a lot of money, but it's 1%. And basically, he hires a guy. I think it's Brad Pitt. I don't know who it is. But he hires someone to do the negotiation. It wasn't Brad Pitt in real life, obviously. He's an actor. But it's a true story. And basically... They negotiate, he's like, hey, let's negotiate the number down. And they're like physically harming and torturing his grandson rather than going, I don't negotiate with terrorists. But he's like, hey, we'll do it, but let's get the number down. And, uh, and there's a scene where they bring in a new wave of profit, you know, kind of profit reports, financial reports that, that are just full of profits. And they, and they asked him, he said, hey, um, how much, he said, I just need a little bit more money. He said, but, you know, with all due respect, sir, you, you're the richest person in the history of the world. How much more money would you need to finalize this deal? How good does the deal have to be? And he said, just a little more. And that's how most people think, just a little more. Because money represents something to us. Now, Dana talked about this a little bit. Its value to us is what it represents to us. We wouldn't save money if we didn't think it brought security. We wouldn't buy a bunch of stuff we don't need to impress people. We don't, you know, that, that whole quote. Uh, if we weren't trying to impress people. You see what I'm saying? We, we think money uh, opens, up the thing, uh, opens us up to the thing we really want. And so none of us think we're wealthy. Uh, none of us uh, think we're greedy. And, and Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Jesus says where your heart is, uh, where your treasure is, there, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Uh, one theologian said, um, our money always flows to our true God. It's just which one is it? So in light of that, it's been a challenging series, but... It has been a fruitful series because we can become people who go, actually, I do worship Jesus with everything, not just a part of my life, even the, the purse. So 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4, that's what we're going to read. Uh, it's going to be the opposite of last week. Last week, I went through, I did a you know, biblical theology with you, the entire uh, narrative of Scripture, big storyline uh, of God. Uh, this week, we're looking at four verses, four practical verses at the end of an epistle, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 1. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of accreditation to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me as well. So Paul, 
uh, is contextually, Paul's taking an offering for a struggling Jerusalem church, a church that is struggling financially, and he's calling all the Gentile churches to give to support the church family and church mission in Jerusalem. Uh, we know the Macedonians are in on this. We know the Galatians are in on this. Now we know the Corinthians are in on this. Uh, he actually talks about this offering in both letters we have to the Corinthians. Uh, and so uh, I think there's some pretty practical advice for us to take down on, on how to give and, and what offerings look like and all that. So uh, he mentions the first day of the week, uh, which is Sunday. Uh, Sunday is the day uh, is the day of the week when the church historically has gathered. And we gather Sunday because we're celebrating the resurrection. It happened on a Sunday, and we still meet on Sundays to this day. Uh, God's people in the Old Testament, uh, often they would gather on Saturday, the Sabbath, uh, the Jewish community. Uh, but he says, on that first day where you're reminded of what Jesus has done for you, but you're also getting ready for the rest of your week, systematically set aside some money based on how much money you have, which we'll get into in a second. And he says, hey, when I get there, make sure the money's ready, right? I don't want to have to do a bunch of fundraising. Uh, I don't want to get, I don't want like a lemonade stand going. I don't want a thermometer on the wall. I don't want to get like share this video to get some crowdfunding going. I want to know that you have made a decision before the Lord uh, to set this money aside and, and you have got it, Okay. And then he talks about sending money to Jerusalem. And he says, after the money is set aside, I'm going to ask you to give this money to some people that you trust, reputable people that you trust, to bring that money to Jerusalem. And essentially, the churches in Jerusalem uh, don't know who you are, but they know me, Paul is saying. And again, the journey from Corinth to Jerusalem is about 1,000 miles, and they're going straight cash, right? Uh, so they don't have bank accounts. They don't have whatever, crypto accounts, they don't have uh, wiring stuff. Uh, like you, you are bringing it yourself in cash. And he says, um, I'm going to send you with a letter that says these people are with me, right? And, and again, it's pretty important. Again, they're bringing straight cash. There's no paper trail. It's a thousand miles. Imagine, you know, like, hey, here's 12 grand. Uh, essentially saying, hey, I'll write a letter that is sealed that says they're with me. Here's how much was collected. So this is how much they should have on you, on them. Uh, if, if it's not there, you know, ask some questions, let me know. Uh, but you can trust these people, A, in a as a persecuted church, a religious minority in the Roman Empire at the time when it was very dangerous to be Christians. You can trust that this isn't like a trap where they're like using money to get you to reveal that you're a Christian to kill you or whatever, but also so that you know that the money will be taken care of properly. All right. So he says, I'll send that up. And so that's kind of it. That's four verses. Uh, what I want to look at real quick are just three principles for giving that you can use your entire Christian life, uh, generally, uh, uh, genuinely. So I have this outline. It's these three points on giving. Number one, giving is systematic and intentional. Giving is for everyone, and giving is proportional. Giving is systematic and intentional. Giving is for everyone. Giving is proportional. All right? So giving should be systematic and intentional. Again, Paul says, set it aside on the first day of the week. It's not haphazard. I want you to catch that. You're setting it aside for a purpose. Think about how God's people, to be sanctified means to be set aside. There's an intentionality to being set aside, and it's no different here, which means you don't just give when you feel like it. I read a, an entire article, uh, Harvard Business Review, and it was just talking about how to get out of procrastination ruts. And one of the biggest um, uh, uh, what do you call it? The biggest piece of advice they gave you is you don't have to always feel like the thing you're doing. You just do it because you should do it. Um, uh, you don't have to um, feel like exercising to exercise. You guys know that? Uh, on and on it goes. Um, we teach our kids this all the time. There are things that in life that you don't feel like doing, but they're important to do, and so we still do them, right? 
Um, giving should be a regular part of your life as a follower of Jesus. We're called to a lifestyle of generosity. Again, this is one of the things we saw in the Old Testament, particularly in relation to the tithe. Um, again, Old Testament, so remind a few thousand years, uh, it's an agrarian society. Uh, you're working with farmers. And so um, what God told them, if you guys remember this, is you know their vines would ripen, their cows would mature, uh, their crops were ready to harvest. He would say, set aside 10% for the temple and the priests, set aside 10% for celebrating and for you, and then 3% for the poor, okay? But the idea is this idea uh, specifically with the temple, the, the, poor, the offering for the poor is every three years, for the temple and the priests, uh, it's, it's the idea of first fruit. It's, it's 10% off the top. So again, first fruits, because they were literal fruits, as the first fruits of the crops. So Paul's picking up on that idea here. The beginning of your week, right? Uh, set this money aside and, and, and make sure um, it's ready. So it should be a part of your lifestyle. Okay, so if giving is systematic, here's what that means. It should be, uh, the modern equivalent is, it should be a part of your budget. Like you should have giving in your budget, it's an actual line item. Again, the way Jack and I were discipled, we've always just had that. Like, this isn't even our money. This is, just goes out. This is off the top. Um, we also recommend having another item for being generous towards others, kind of that second 10%, Paul, uh, in the Old Testament you see. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm, you're going to see in a second, I'm less bogged down with percentages, but you go, man, we've got money for this. It's not just for us to spend on ourselves or save for ourselves. Um, we have generosity built into our budget. But catch this, not random not random. Whatever it looks like for you to set aside first fruits is what they are getting at here. Again, in the Old Testament, it wouldn't have been like, ah, 10%, you know, just, you know, like they're, they're measuring that thing. They're counting that thing. And so first fruit comes out almost immediately after you get paid, right? So whether it's, it's uh, back in the day, it would have been daily or seasonally when the harvest comes in. Um, at the time of Jesus, you, they were, most people were day laborers, right? Um, but there's this idea that um, after you get paid, whether it's weekly, biweekly, monthly, some people have arrangements to this day, you get paid quarterly. Um, but, but here's the deal. This is why we recommend reoccurring giving, reoccurring online giving. And um, I've heard some pushback on reoccurring online giving. Uh, people, hey, man, it doesn't feel spiritual enough. It's just like paying a bill to God, okay? Now, I understand it might not seem like the most spiritual or romantic thing, right, to set up reoccurring giving. But honestly, the things that we value and prioritize most in life, we put thought into. Right, romance, right? Like the idea of, man, ro man I want something to be romantic. Uh, again, I'm an Enneagram 4 slash 7. I love idealism. I love romance. I love, uh, I love uh, in the moment romantic moments. In the moment idealism. It's my love language. Spontaneous fun, okay? Uh, spontaneous, meaningful moments. But that's not really how life works most of the time. Usually what makes something romantic is the thoughtfulness you put into it. Like, you wrote me a song. You shouldn't do that on the spot unless you're a really good freestyle rapper and your girl's really into, into hip-hop. And you're real good. What makes the date romantic? Try pulling up to a romantic date night spot five minutes before, no reservation. Like, hey, I think they'll, I think they'll like us. It feels magical tonight. They're like, it might feel magical, but <laughs> we're three weeks out. This is Little Italy. Take it easy. The things you value, the things that you prioritize. And again, for us, me and Jackie, I mean, like we schedule out our date nights months in advance. When we're going to be there. Otherwise, it won't happen. Okay? And so um, what can often happen with, with giving, you see why this is so important, is, is if you don't set it up, you often will forget about it. Okay? 
I promise you as a pastor, I'm a spiritual leader. I love the Bible. I love God. I love you. I promise you um, that, that it is better to actually give what you commit to give consistently to fund the mission of the church than it is to give when you remember to, when it feels romantic. I, I, I promise. I mean, imagine, again, at your job, your boss pays you when they, when they feel like it or when it feels meaningful. It would be really hard for you to plan and budge and do all seven. As we just practically as leaders, there's a practical part to church. Uh, we live in a material world with physical needs. We have to budget out to pay for stuff. And it's hard to do if we just don't know what's going to come in. So, again, we, we recommend that. Um, by the way, one thing I do want to say, um, and, and by the way, I'd recommend doing it earlier in the month. Uh, you do it like, or, or whatever, earlier into your pay period. Because uh, what can happen is you forget to do it. it, it you miss it. And they're like, oh, man, all right, I guess I'll do it next month. And then it kind of the same thing happens. Also, um, the other thing I want to say is we don't want you giving on credit cards. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. It's fine if you give it on a credit card, you pay it off every month. Uh, I mean, I don't want you giving money you don't have. There is terrible teaching. It's called Prosperity Gospel, Health Wealth Teaching, where they talk to, you know, these guys on TV, you know, reach out to people who are poor and sick and go, um, get a credit card, tithe on it, get a line of credit, give on that, and God will bless you. Just to be clear, that's demonic. We don't want anyone giving money they don't have, okay? Um, God's never uh, requiring you to give money you do not have, okay? So systemic and intentional, okay? Think budgeted, reoccurring, ongoing, it's set aside. All right, number one, so so it's intentional and systematic. Number two, giving is for everyone. It's for everyone. And we can often think giving is for wealthy people, And again, no one thinks they're wealthy, but whether or not you are wealthy or not, as disciples of Jesus, generosity isn't for some of us, it's for all of us. Because all of us are called to become like Jesus, and Jesus' heart is full of generosity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, each one of you, this is everybody. And this is important because one of the things we know about the church at Corinth is that they had several people who were very wealthy, and they had several people who were very poor. Matter of fact, if you study 1 Corinthians, we, we did an entire series in there. It was a divided church, and one of their divisions was socioeconomic, was how much money people made um, and people being favored or not favored. So there were poor people, and Paul still challenges them to give. It's important for everyone to give. Now, different people, real, real clear, different people have different incomes. They give different amounts. I want to be really clear on that. The idea that generosity is for everyone is super important. But, but, but again, we don't, we'll get into that in a second, how much. But, but I think many of us would love to grow in generosity. But I think a lot of us think generosity is just not for me in this season. You ever felt that way? No, no, just me, I guess. Okay. So often, man, I'm like, oh, man, I could be real generous if boom, 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 right? And again, here's what I want you to catch is as you walk, as you live, as you live your life, there will always be a myriad of reasons why you can't give sacrificially right now. Uh, right, uh, you're in college. Hey, I'm in college. I'm kind of a fixed income. I'm not working yet. I'm not into my career. Like I got, you know, I got student loans. Da, da, da. And then, then, oh man, I'm saving to get married. Uh, I got to get a, my girl's time. I need a huge ring, man. Uh, the wedding, you know, man, my mom, you know, wedding. Da da da. Okay, all right, you, you got to get ready for that. And you get, oh man, honeymoon, man. We we spent so much on the wedding. We had to use credit cards for the honeymoon. Not a great idea. It's where we're at. Uh, once that's paid off, man, we'll be good to go. It's like, oh, you know what, man, we just had a baby. Babies are expensive. Kids are expensive. Hospital bills are expensive. My insurance isn't great, right? Like, have you seen diapers? The cost of diapers these days. Whoa. I think gas is expensive, right? 
Then you move, man, we got to save for a house, bro. Southern California, man, houses don't grow on trees. We got we to save, got to save, got to save. Man, my kids are getting older, man. You know how much clothes cost for kid, growing boys, growing girls? Man, the food. We got club sports going on. We got, right, we got music lessons going on. And now, man, they did all that stuff. And my kids, you know, maybe he's not that athletic or he's not that musical, but, man, he, he's, he's smart. But, you know, the, she's smart. He's smart. Um, and, but now they got to go to college. They weren't smart enough for a scholarship, you know, so we, we're, we're, you know, we're not really – we make too much, but not enough, so we're paying for college now. And then now, and then the kids graduate from college. They're like, hey, here's the thing, man. We're behind a retirement. We've been paying for college for, you know, six, eight years. We've got to aggressively, man, that 401k, we've got to get to business. That IRA is behind. We've got to aggressively save as much as we possibly can. And then you're retired. You're like, man, I, I want a fixed income, dude. I can't, I can't just be, right? And, and again, what I'm trying to tell you is you will always find excuses for not being generous. They are always there, and they always sound reasonable. Giving is an act of faith. It's a spiritual discipline. Your gifts are going, but here's what I want you to catch. Your gifts are going to vary. Um, God measures giving different than we measure giving. We measure giving by how much the gift is for. God measures the gift by how much it costs us, the sacrifice. We see this in, in Mark chapter 12, starting in um, verse 41. It says this, it says, uh, I'll give a little context for this. So Jesus, he's with his disciples. He's at the temple. He's at the treasury at the temple where people would put in their offerings. And back in the day, again, there's no checks uh, you're, when you put your offering in, it, people can see it. It's not like, oh, man, if, if 800 people put a, put a paper check in, I wonder how much those are for. Unless you get a glimpse of it, you don't know. Um, you got people walking up with bags, with coins, right? You got small ones, you got big ones. It's, 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 it's not as mysterious as it is now. And, uh, and, and honestly, everyone could see how much your gift is. And again, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Religious leaders of the day, Pharisees, they actually would go out of their way to show off. And so um, uh, I know uh, Willis Shamasian's from New Orleans. I think this is true. I've heard this before, that in New Orleans you can hire a band and have your own parade. Is that true? Okay, it is? okay it's true. New Orleans, fact check. Okay. Um, so they would kind of do that. They'd literally have people playing music, blowing trumpets, like, check out this guy giving a ton of money. The crowd would go wild. They're like, win another one. Sadducees loved it, whatever, right? And so Jesus is watching people give, and he's with his disciples. And the average person, just like today, would be impressed by the size of the gift. They go, man, check out that trumpet. Check out that bag. I mean, man, they are really, they're doing it, right? They're serious. I wish I could be like them. Now, all that, like, hoopla is going on. Jesus is sitting there, and he's watching. And he's with his disciples, and, it's, and it says this, Mark 12, 41, says, Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Just think about that for a second. It's like, Jesus, do you know math? Do you know how currency works? And he explains at verse 44, For they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. 
And so in that economy and society, if you were a widow without a working age son, you were in trouble. You were on the margins financially, socially. And she drops in these coins and Jesus, again, he absolutely, he just loses his mind. He's like, did you guys see that? And he, they're like, what? He's like, the woman who gave that gift. He's like, a lot of people, a lot of women, a lot of gifts. What do you mean? The one, she put in the two coin. Oh, the, the two coin lady? Like two coin Tina? Two coin, the, two, the widow, the widow, are you talking about the widow lady? She put in like two quarters. He's like, no, did you see how much she gave? They're like, yes, bro, two quarters. He's like, no, she put in more than anyone else in the room. Like, Jesus, it's 50 cents. We can't even buy a brick for the temple with that one brick. And Jesus is just basically saying, hey, in heaven, we measure giving differently. It's, it's not the size of the gifts. It's the size of the hearts. The wealthy people gave a gift they didn't feel. It wasn't sacrificial. She gave a gift that cost her. Again, Jesus talks about this in Sermon on the Mount, right? When, when you give, don't make a big deal out of it. A lot of people who don't follow Jesus, who are wealthy, they have more money than they know what to do with. But they give it away, and they often give it in a way where they get attention for it. Jesus goes, and there's nothing wrong with giving money away and being a philanthropist. All I'm saying is, is that's different than what this is. God doesn't measure the size of the gift. He measured what it cost you. Uh, Mark Dever, a pastor in Washington, D.C., his church is full of kind of movers and shakers. Uh, they have both Democratic and Republican congressmen in their church and members of congressional staffs in their church, and they have a ton of wealthy people. And it's an interesting church to lead, he said, because someone could be making half a million dollars. They could give 50000 a year, and they're technically not being generous, which is wild to think about. Proportionally, use Jesus' metric. He gets into why that is here. This is what he says. He says, Suppose Sister A has an income of 30000 per year and Sister B has an income of 120000 per year. Both give 10% of their income. With everything else being equal, has Sister B given progressively? No, she hasn't. After giving, after giving Sister A has 27000 left to live on and Sister B has 108000 to live on, more than four times as much. Sister B could actually give 20% and still have over 60,000 more to live off on than Sister A. So giving progressively means the more you have, the more you should give. Not just giving a higher amount, but a higher percentage as well. And so if you receive a salary raise, this would allow you to give a higher percentage of your income. Remember, generosity is not marked by how much we give, but by how much we keep. Again, this is an important principle for two types of people. For one per, there's the, uh, I remember I've met with a couple different people like this. Uh, and it happened actually in our last series. It kind of spurred this. Like I said, very few people see this naturally. But I remember sitting with a gal and she said, man, I save thousands of dollars a month. And I, I give the church about $100 a month. And my husband makes plenty of money and, 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 and like we're fine. But I don't feel fine. I'm actually stressed out about money all the time. And I know I'm not generous. And so first, she's like seeing this reality, man, I, I, I want to grow in this thing. But here's why this principle is so beautiful. On the flip side, I've talked to other people who go, man, I am unemployed. I am underemployed. I am on a fixed income. I am struggling. I am a single parent. I wish I could give more. I don't have much to give. I can only give 1% or 2% or whatever it is. And I want them, and they feel bummed. I go, no, 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 no. Jesus loves what you're doing. 
my goal is not to get you to 10%. My goal is to get you to, to give like it matters. And, and that, for you, that is more than enough. Heaven is rejoicing. There is no such thing as a small gift if it's a sacrificial one and you're responding to Jesus' love and, and his, uh, his direction to give it. There's no such thing as an insignificant gift. And that leads to uh, point number three, uh, giving is proportional. Okay, giving is proportional. Um, again, he says, as, uh, as your income allows, okay, uh, 1 Corinthians 16. So we don't all give the same amount, okay? Now, there's a big debate uh, how much, excuse me, how much money should Christians give? Like, what's, what's the number? Um, are we supposed to give 10%, right? Uh, you know, and some people say, no, man, it's not 10%. The law doesn't apply to us. Um, and a lot of people say, man, tell me how, I've had people, man, tell me how much to give. Kind of like, what must I do to be saved? How much, you know, like, what, what is it? What does the Bible say? Are we required to give 10% or not? Is the law binding or not? Um, and I want to let you guys know that I have figured out the right amount to give. We, we have landed on that percentage-wise, okay? So if you take, uh, it's, it's kind of, I don't have the math formula up here, but if you take the Old Testament law and the teaching of Jesus and Paul New Testament, I threw that into a calculator and I did a currency exchange thing with denarii and dollars, and I have a percentage of what we're called to give, okay? Are you guys ready for the number? It's 6.8%, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Some of you guys were pumped about that. They're like, yes, I can control it. There isn't a specific percentage, I think, in the New Covenant, right? Uh, again, the tithe's controversial. Some people argue for it. They go, Abraham was tithed to Melchizedek before the law was given. Jesus in Matthew 23 commends the Pharisees for tithing. Some Christians say, you know, whatever. Other Christians say we're not under the Old Testament. We follow the Spirit. We give generously. And again, if I, was, if, I was forced, if I was forced to pick tithe or no tithe, I would take the second side that it's not 10%. I think it's some of what we've already seen. Um, and here's why, this idea of are we under the law or not. Jesus doesn't call us to a lower standard than the law. He calls us to a higher standard than the law, always. Right? So, so he says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't commit it. He says, you've heard it say, don't commit adultery. But I say, don't look at a woman lustfully. He raises the bar. He doesn't go, you've heard it say, uh, don't commit adultery. Do whatever you want. The law's gone. That's not what he says. He says, uh, you have heard it say, thou shalt not commit murder, right? He says, I say, you know, don't, don't be angry with someone. You know, don't call them a fool. Um, you know, you know um, love your family, hate your enemies. That's the most natural thing in the world. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay. You, you know, it's not like, hey, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit, you know, don't murder, but you can beat people up. Like, that's not what Jesus does. And so Jesus doesn't say, now that we're under the law, we, now that we're not under the law, we can do whatever we want. He set us free to follow him. Uh, a pastor in Los Angeles, he tells this story. It always cracks me up. He says, I was sitting on the hearth of a fireplace with an individual who was considering becoming a part of our church. He turned to me and asked me if our church was a law church or a grace church. It was pretty obvious to me that he was setting a trap, so I thought I would go ahead and jump in. I said, well, of course, we're a grace church. I thought so, he replied. I was concerned that you were one of those law churches that told people they had to tithe. Oh, no, I said, we're a grace church. The law says do not murder. Grace says you don't even, uh, you don't even have to have hatred in your heart. You can love your enemy. The law says do not commit adultery, but grace says you don't even have to have a lust in your heart for another woman. The law says give 10%, but grace always takes us beyond law. At our church, you're free to give 20, 30, or 30%. We would never stop you from living by grace. He looked at me and said, oh, 
a profoundly theological response. And so here's the idea. It's sacrificially proportionate, which means um, it's proportionate to your income. So again, depending on what you, man, your percentage, that, that depends between you and Jesus based on where you're at. Um, but we're called to sacrificial giving that's proportional to our income. By the way, sacrificial means you have to give other things up to pull it off. Okay? If you don't have to give anything up, and it could be a small thing from, um, you know, food you eat, uh, types of food you eat, how often you eat that type of food, to financial goal. Like, it just depends on what it is. But a non-Christian financial advisor should be concerned by the number. Okay? <laughs> you want to know, are, are you making it? You're like, you're not going into debt? And a non-Christian be like, hey, this is a little out of hand. It's like you really value this. A friend of mine said one time a guy was telling him, um, you could be investing this. And he's like, I am investing this to the kingdom. Treasures in heaven, man. That's what Jesus taught. So we are free from the law, but we're free to, to, to follow Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, we'll end here. Verses 14 to 15 says, For the love of Christ compels us. Since we, had, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. This is the life we live as followers of Jesus. He died for us, we respond. He died for us, we, we live for him. He, he gave, we give. We give.